All right, our children are leaving. And I hesitate to say that I forgot to look up the page number for our scripture today. But it is found in Mark 1, 29 through 39. So I'm going to give you a minute to find Mark. And you can find your own page, whether in the large print or the regular print. Uh, while you're doing that, we do have connect cards for any guest here. They're in the book holder and pew in front of you. We'd like for you to fill one of those out and put it in the offering plate when it comes around so that we can drop you a note and let you know a little bit more about us. Mark 1, 29 through 39. Also, if you have a, a phone that's smarter than mine, my little flip phone doesn't do it, but one of the smartphones, you can download a Bible app. What's the name of it? The Bible app. The Bible app. Uh, well, who puts it out, though? It's a U version. Uh, it's a, and you can get different versions, I mean, different translations, but we're reading from the NIV today. And so for those of you who have your smartphones, you can download it uh, or upload it onto your smartphone and follow along with us. So Mark 1, 29 through 39. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man of their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit took the man, shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they told Jesus about her. So they went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and even possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. May God bless the reading of his word. And so we're talking about that from a spiritual standpoint. How do we get better spiritually? Because for a lot of us, if we're honest, we get stuck in a rut where we're not doing a whole lot new spiritually. We're just kind of going through our routine. And a lot of times that just involves, you know, going to church on Sunday, uh, you know, if we're not doing something else. And, and then, uh, you know, and that's, that's about the extent of it. And while we're there, we worship, we pray, we hear from God's word and the rest of the week, you know, we try to live it out and that's what we do. 
And then sometimes we start wondering, you know, why is it my faith having more of an impact on my life? Why, do I, why don't I feel like I'm becoming more and more like Christ at, at a rate that seem, would seem more appropriate? And, and we just feel like we're stuck in a rut and we wonder, what do we need to do to get better? Normal isn't working. You know, we can't keep doing the same old things the same old way and expect new results, right? And so that's what this series is about. Here as we are here in a new year, we're just talking about how, what are some practices, some disciplines that we can put in our life to get better. Because Jesus, he didn't call people to just identify with him. To say, yeah, I'm with that Jesus guy. We have lots of people back in his day and lots of people in our day that identify with Jesus. You know, if you handed them a survey, they'd check the box Christian. You know, my family were Christian. Uh, you know, that's, that's the voting block that they identify with. Or that's, you know, they identify with a church. But that definitely, if you ask them if they're a Christian, yeah, I'm, I'm with the Jesus guy, you know. That's me. But they're not actually following Jesus. I mean, they're not becoming more like him. And, that, and that's what Jesus that's the people Jesus called, right? And we talked about that story that he told you know, last week as we introduced this series about the, the man who built his house on the firm foundation and the man who built his house on the shifting sand. And Jesus said both of those guys said, Lord, Lord. But one of them heard what Jesus said and put it into practice. And then the foolish man heard what Jesus said and didn't put it into practice, didn't live it out. Jesus called followers. He called disciples. He didn't just call someone who would check Christian on a box. And when you follow someone or you're their disciple, the whole point is to be like them, to become more like them. And when people started calling Christians Christians in the first century, it was because they were like Christ. They were people becoming like Christ. They were little Christs. They were Christians. And so we want to be people not just that identify with Christ, but that follow Christ. We're people in training to be like Jesus. And so we need some things that are going to help us do just that. It's not just going to happen by osmosis. Certainly, the, the main driver of that bus is the Holy Spirit. And we're told that the Holy Spirit comes into the believer's life and helps us grow into something that looks more like Christ. It grows in us the fruit of the Spirit. But there are also things that we need to do, disciplines that we need to do that are going to help us internalize the truths of God so that we can better live them out in our life. And those are called spiritual disciplines. Most of them aren't themselves the teachings of Jesus. They're the things that help us understand and fully grasp and then live out the teachings of Jesus. Most of them are things Jesus himself did and modeled for us. And this week is definitely an example of that as we talk about praying as a spiritual discipline. You know that story, uh, not the story, the song. There's a song back about prayer that was really popular. It's a country song. <clears throat> came from the 90s. Now some of us in this room were born in the 90s. You may not remember this. But for those of us who've been around a little bit longer and, and you know, listened to the country radio, any, doubtless you've heard the song Sometimes I thank God, you know that one, for unanswered prayer. Y'all didn't sing very loud, that's okay. I'll let you off the hook today. Uh, I needed the big black cowboy hat and then I could have looked like Garth Brooks maybe. But 
you know, he sang that song, Sometimes I Thank God for Unanswered Prayer, and, and some Christians really liked that song, and others of them said, there's no such thing as unanswered prayer, but I think we all got the point that sometimes we pray for things, and then later we're kind of glad God didn't <laughs> give us what we prayed for, you know. And in his song, in his example, you know, he sees his old high school fling, and, and he meets her, you know, and, and then as he leaves, he's remembering I prayed and prayed that God would make that girl my wife, and I am so glad he didn't. (laughs) And doubtless, each of us, you know, we've prayed a prayer like that at some point, right? We've prayed some prayer at some point, and later down the road, we can look back and we can say, whew, glad God knew better than me on that one. In a way, that kind of, I mean, that realization kind of makes you wonder, I mean, what good is prayer doing in my life? If, if I don't even know the right things to pray about, and, and God knows better than me, and half the time I'm asking for something wrong in the first place, and later I'm glad that he didn't give it to me. Well, I mean, why am I praying? How is prayer going to make my life better? Well, that's a brutally honest question that a lot of us have dealt with at some point or another. And I want to suggest to you today that maybe it's Not a matter of the things that we pray for, but the way we pray. And the motive from which we pray. How we pray. That is the culprit. That sometimes leaves us wondering, how is prayer really making my life better? And to figure that out. To see how prayer as a discipline in your life can really help you grow spiritually, we need look no further than Jesus himself. And we have this incredible account in in Mark chapter 1, right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, right after he was baptized by John the Baptist, right after he called the first disciples to start going with him. We're told in in Matthew that he, in a a different gospel account, that he moved his headquarters. You know, Jesus had been living in Nazareth most of all of his life. And he moved to Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is where our account that we heard today, here at the beginning, the launch of his ministry, took place. And put a big yellow arrow there for you so you can see Capernaum, right at the top of the Sea of Galilee. (coughs) Nazareth is down here at the bottom middle, to the west of the Sea of Galilee. So he made the journey over there and took up, kind of made his base camp, his headquarters, in this town called Capernaum. It's not around anymore, it's just some ruins But at that day, it was a pretty happening little town on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. A town where there were tax collectors, Roman soldiers, Jews. There was a synagogue, so there were teachers of the law. There was just a a fisherman, because they're right on the Sea of Galilee. In fact, this is where Peter's home was. And he takes up residence here in Capernaum. Just a, a couple of pictures for you, just to give you some more. If you can use your imagination a little bit, it's ruins now, but in that day, this was a pretty grand synagogue. I mean, look at those pillars. And So when Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, he was standing there. And uh, just to back out a little bit, there's just what's left of the ruins of Capernaum, and you can see kind of that big building in the middle by the big group of trees is the synagogue we were just looking at. And out beyond that is the Sea of Galilee. I mean, just right on the shore. 
probably hear the waves while you're in the synagogue. So this is our setting, Capernaum. And we're told that Jesus shows up and almost immediately becomes immensely popular. I mean, it starts with his teaching. He shows up and he starts teaching in the synagogue, teaching from God's word. And everyone says, we've never heard teaching like this before. He teaches with such authority. So, starts to draw some attention. Then comes the demon-possessed person that he casts the demon out. And the demon calls him the Holy One of God. And that raises some eyebrows, right? Man, what is going on here? Who is this guy? Who's the new kid in town here that we've got? And then we're told in verse 28 that news at that point spread quickly throughout the whole region of Galilee about this guy, Jesus, that had just shown up and was teaching with power and authority and casting out demons. And after that, sorry, let me back up. After that, then we're told that he goes to Peter's house and Peter's mom is sick and he heals her. And then crowds gather out in front of Peter's house. And they're bringing sick people to him and he's healing them. I mean, it says the whole town showed up. I don't know how big a town we're talking, but there's a crowd out in front of Peter's house. And Jesus is sitting there, I guess, on the front steps. And people are just bringing people to him and he's healing them. So, I mean, he's taught, he's cast out a demon, he's, he's healed all these people. And then night falls. And we read between the lines that everybody went to bed. It doesn't say that, but they all woke up the next morning. So we can, we can say safely, they went to bed. And talk about a long day for Jesus, right? I mean, you've got to be worn out after that. But what does Jesus do? Jesus beats them all up. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus beats them all up, the whole town. Talk about discipline. Man, I mean, no alarm clocks, no smartphones, (laughs) no sunlight. Long day the day before. And he's up before everybody to spend some time in prayer. Why? I mean, we're told time and again that Jesus made this a priority. And in Luke's account of the gospel, we're told that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places. Often. Often withdrew and found solitary, lonely places where he could pray. I mean, sometimes he would pray through the whole night, right? Somehow for Jesus, I mean, have you ever been sleep deprived before? I have been sleep deprived for probably a couple of years after we had Hadley. And we, I, it is not a pretty thing, right? No one wants to be sleep deprived. We value our sleep if we're wise, right? But prayer was more important to Jesus than sleep. This kind of habit of praying might kind of explain how he was sleeping through the storm in a boat, all right? 
<laughs> he was worn out. But prayer was more important to him. This discipline of finding a solitary place and praying, it was more important to him than sleep itself. He'd rather be sleep deprived and be praying than have it the other way around. Why? I think we see why in this story. We're, we're told that the next thing that happened is the town, well, we're not told, but we know between the lines that the town woke up, right? Because the sun comes up, everybody wakes up. And then we're told that everybody starts looking for him, right? I mean, the, the day before was pretty incredible. Where is this Jesus guy? Let's head back to Peter's house. Let's hear some more from this guy. This is amazing. God is doing something really cool here. Let's go see Jesus again. And they show up and they knock on the door and Peter says, I don't know where he is. So Peter and his friends, they go looking for him and eventually they find Jesus hiding out in this solitary place praying. And they found him and they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you, Jesus. Everyone's, this is great. I mean, these guys just signed up with Jesus to do this whole mission thing, right? Come, I'll make you fishers of men. And they just signed up with him. Things are just getting kicked off. This is like the first stop and things are going awesome. And they're like, let's set up shop. We could be the kings of this town. I mean, these people think we're awesome. News is spreading through the whole region. Let's just, let's do it again. You know, yesterday was awesome. Today can even be bigger and better, Jesus. This is going to be great. They are excited. And what does Jesus say in response? Let's go somewhere else. <laughs> what? We're just getting going here. This is awesome. We've got, things are happening. Jesus says, no, let's go somewhere else. Let's go around and travel to the nearby villages so I can preach there, so I can tell about the kingdom coming there, so I can let them know what's going on. We, I, this is why I've come. That is why I've come. That is why I've come. I wonder what would have happened if Jesus hadn't gotten up and prayed before everyone else woke up. In a sense, we don't have any way of knowing, but in another sense, we do know what would have happened. Jesus, the sun would have come up, and Jesus would have woke up along with the rest of the town. And the first people he would have seen would have been his disciples, who would have started making plans, right? They'd, All right, Jesus, today we head back to the synagogue at 9, and then we'll do lunch down on the shore with the fish. We've got fish, and then we'll heal some more people in the evening. It'll be great. We'll do it again. Word will spread. Maybe we'll even find another demon and you can do your demon thing. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> right? We, can, we just know that they're excited. They're going to get up. They're going to start making plans. And then knock on the door. People are going to start showing up from all over the town. They're looking for Jesus. We were told they were looking for him and he wasn't there. We know if he was there, they'd have, they'd have found him. Right? And they said, come on, Jesus. I've got a, you know, my cousin is sick. And he just made it into town. We sent word to him. You know, can you heal him? And Crowds pressing in around him. Disciples helping him make plans. I don't know what would have happened. But I know that because Jesus spent time alone in prayer, he was able to say to his disciples when they showed up, no, that's not the plan. This is why I've come. This is what the Father wants me to be doing. This is the mission. Would that have happened if Jesus hadn't carved out that time with his father 
to realign his heart to what he was supposed to be doing. I don't guess we'll ever know for sure. But I know this about my life. And I wonder if the same is true of your life. I know this in my life. When I wake up and I don't spend any time in prayer and the day just starts happening, things get away from me pretty fast. I know that when, when I wake up and, and I don't spend any time with God first thing, that the rest of, I'm kind of rolling the dice on my attitude that day, right? And I know when I don't wake up and I, I don't start with prayer, then I'm just going to follow my agenda for the day. And I'm not going to be thinking much about God's agenda. And I know when I don't start with prayer, that when I see other people, they're just more people to talk to, more things to do, more instead of seeing them the way Jesus would see them. I don't have a kingdom mindset when I don't start off with prayer. And sometimes I think we don't find prayer that helpful in, in helping us get better spiritually because we're not praying the right, right kind of prayers. And I want to suggest to you today that the kind of discipline that Jesus modeled for us was this kind of prayer. He prayed to align his heart, not just get his part, right? Sometimes we just pray prayers, you know, God, I need this, God, I need that. God, this person needs this, God, this person needs that. And those are the only kind of prayers we pray. And so we pray a lot, some, some of us pray at meal times, right, to say thank you for the food, that kind of thing. And, and then the other time that we pray is when something comes up. We, we hear about a prayer request. And so we pray about it. We, something comes up in our life, and, and so we pray about it. But the discipline of praying the way Jesus modeled it for us has to be about something more. I mean, somehow at the end of his prayer, it wasn't that something, boom, happened that he was praying for. Instead, his heart was realigned. He remembered the mission and what he was supposed to be doing. He was walking with the Father and not getting distracted from his mission by all the things going on all around him. Sometimes our prayers become one-dimensional. Well, how many dimensions should there be? I want to share three with you today. Three directions of prayer because it's easy to remember when we talk about them in directions. And so I'm going to talk to you about those just so you can have a practical starting point that I really think if we can discipline ourselves to carve out some solitary time with God and we can learn to start praying in a three-dimensional, three-directional way instead of just the one way that we typically pray, that we're going to find that prayer aligns our heart and when it aligns our heart with God's heart, we start getting better spiritually because we're in sync with the Father. We're in sync with the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit's trying to do in our life. So, like last week and like every week of this series as we go through it, there's going to be commitments. And I've got three commitment levels on the back of your card. And by the end of this message, I want to ask you to choose one of them. 
wherever you're at in life, just choose one that sounds doable for you this week and go with it. And you'll notice that each of those say, find a solitary place. Solitary place. Why solitary? We could just say, well, Jesus found a solitary place, so we're going to find a solitary place. But why did Jesus find a solitary place? Because there wasn't any chance of having the peace to get aligned with God with crowds buzzing all around him. With everything going on, he had to find a solitary, a lonely place, a quiet place where he could be alone with God. And certainly, our world is not even as quiet as Jesus' day, I would say. There's constant noise in our world. I mean, it's just, it's hard to get a word in edgewise. I was thinking about, the, you know, the value of a solitary place. When Julie and I had no idea what we were getting into and Hadley learned to talk. Now, if you see Hadley around here much, you might not think of her as a chatterbox, but at home, oh my goodness. And it's lately, you know, it's been like, we, it's, we can't hardly have a substantive conversation, you know, with, with any kind of depth or purpose, or really hash anything out if she's around because, oh my goodness, we got to be talking. I can't, talking on the phone, I can't hardly talk on the phone because someone else is talking in the background. And I mean, it's just, so we're trying to teach her, right? And, and you know, but that takes time. Because she's three, but she's learning. And we're teaching her some things. But in the meantime, we find that we have to discipline ourselves, Julie and I do, and we have to discipline Hadley to be able to find time to have conversations that need to happen. Otherwise, our relationship suffers. And wouldn't the same be true of God? Because our world today, I mean, the world is like thousands of little chatterboxes, right? I mean, we've got phones, we've got internet, we've got TVs, and we've got all this stuff that Jesus didn't even have in his day that's just noise, noise, noise. We've got to check our email, and then we've got to check Facebook, and then you've got to check this, and then someone, you know, an actual person is walking into your office, and then, you know, there's just constant stuff going on. And if we don't get intentional about finding a solitary place, we're not going to be able to do any kind of real praying that's going to align our heart with God's, because there's just going to be too much distraction, too much going on. And so that's why every one of those commitments starts with, Find a solitary place. Find a solitary place. Find Neil, you just don't know my life. There is no such thing as a solitary moment or place in my life. You should just see it. It's a mess. Some of us would say that probably in the room. But I might would say that. Sometimes my life feels that way. But here's what I know. If someone said, Neil, I'll give you a million dollars if you just carve out five minutes of solitary time every day. I would find me five minutes a day, right? So what if I told you that there's something even better than a million dollars that you could have for five minutes of solitary time a day? I think we'd figure it out. I think we'd figure it out. Okay, so you find your five minutes or your however long. More time is better, but hey, start somewhere. Five, say you find your solitary place. What then? I'm going to talk to you about these three directions a prayer to give us something practical just briefly the first one is upward prayer the first direction is upward 
This is prayer that's about God. To God. About God. It's prayer that praises God for who He is. That thanks Him for things that He's done. You know, so often I find myself just rushing into, God, could you do this? God, could you do that? God, look what I'm dealing with here, you know. And I don't even stop to say, God, thank you for what you've already done. I mean, when do we take time to do that? God, I praise you for who you are. Jesus, when he taught us to pray, the Lord's Prayer, started out, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed, holy be your name. It's an upward prayer of praise. And so, I want to challenge you that in your prayer... Don't just include upward prayer, but make it first. Make it the first thing that you do before you pray about anything else. When you carve out that time to sit down with God, start with upward prayer. Because it puts everything else into the right perspective when we remember who it is that we're praying to and what He's already done. puts everything else into perspective. The second direction of prayer is inward. Inward prayer. And this is prayer that looks inward. Not only that, it asks God to look inward. Like the psalmist who wrote, Search me and know me and see if there's any wrong way inside me. And lead me in your paths. You want to talk about how we get better spiritually? If confession and repentance isn't part of your prayer life, good luck. Because this is where we ask God to search our hearts. This is where we say, God, I know I didn't have your attitude just then. Or I'm really struggling with my attitude right now. And I know this isn't Christ-like. It's where we admit it. And then we ask for God's help to turn it around and do better. This is the aspect of prayer that deals with getting better spiritually. And living out God's words. So we start with upward prayer. And then we move to inward prayer. So that by the time we get to the last part. The outward prayer, we're in better shape to do it. And it sounds a little different than it would have sounded if we just started out with it like we usually do. See, outward prayer is what we're used to. If you do any praying at all, you probably do outward prayer. And this is where most of us get stuck in a one-dimensional rut, one-directional rut. And we pray about things around us, we pray about our circumstances, we pray... Those outward prayers. We pray for people and needs that we know of. And this is definitely a part of prayer. And de- Jesus definitely taught us to pray outward prayers. But it's important that we don't just get stuck in a rut where this is the only kind of prayer that we pray. And here's what happens if we start with upward prayer. Then by the time we get to outward prayer, we remember how big our God is and just how capable He is 
of handling whatever it is we pray about. And our prayers can become a little bit bolder and a little bit bigger as we remember that He is perfectly capable and has done greater things before and will do greater things after. Not only that, but it even changes things we pray for. Because as we talk to God and praise Him for who He is and the things that He does, we remember His heart and what His heart is like. And then maybe we remember to pray for things that are close to God's heart, dear to His heart. So often we get caught up with the, you know, I mean, the thing... He tells us to pray about Him. It's not that we shouldn't pray about Him, but we get caught up, you know, praying about the physical things. And praying about the, you know, the co-worker that we can't get along with. And praying about those things. And we miss out on the kingdom things. And I think part of the reason is we don't start with upward and inward prayer. And, and so we just, we get caught up. And those are the big things. But what about people that don't know Christ? What about whole people groups? like Ron Cootie was talking to us about on Wednesday nights, that have never heard about Jesus. Shouldn't someone be praying about them? I mean, what about people who are enslaved? There's more slaves today than ever. What about those people? Shouldn't we be praying for them? What about the Christians who are being persecuted for their faith today, losing their life? for their, That's our brothers and our sisters in Christ, co-citizens of the kingdom. Of God, where our citizen lies, citizenship lies first. Shouldn't someone be praying for them? And I just think, I mean, even in the world right around us, when we have God's heart, instead of being, God, zap them. <laughs> I'm tired of them and their attitude and they're negative and they're in here all the time. What if we had God's heart? Because we start out praying upward and inward prayers and instead we say, man, God, what is going on with them? Something awful must be going on in their life or in their past. or I don't know, but they need some healing from you. It just changes the way we pray. And when we discipline ourselves to pray, not in just a one-dimensional way, but in this three-directional way, we find solitary time to do it. And I really do think we'll get better spiritually. So that's the challenge today. To discipline yourself in this. To pray, to align your heart, not just get your part. And this, really in a sense when you think about it, kind of runs counter to what most of us would have assumed this message would be about. You know, myself included. If you talk about praying to make your life better, you think, well, you know, praying to, uh, for a raise, because that's going to make my life better. You know, praying for... Uh, to get rid of all this gunk that's in my throat from this cold all week. And now Julie has it. And so I'm going to pray about that. And that's going to make our life better. And those are the things, you know, if we learn to pray where prayers get answered, you know, then our life would be better. But the amazing thing is that when we pray to align our hearts, life gets better. Not because our circumstances all change and become happy floaty rainbows and roses but because we change and our perspective on things changes our hearts and our attitudes change 
And we begin to see things from God's point of view. Think about it. What is better? To get bailed out of every bit of financial stress that comes your way? Or to find a trusting peace in God's provision, both in seasons of scarcity and in seasons of plenty? Which would you rather have? If you're, I mean, what would really be better? To just every time something comes up financially stressful, you know, you pray about it and then you get bailed out about it, or to have such a peace that you don't even hardly care. Because <laughs> you know God's going to take care of you. As long as you keep following Him, sticking with Him. What is better? To be delivered from every ailment and malady that comes your way, or to be in the center of God's will? No matter what comes. What is better, to get ahead in life or to find joy in helping others get ahead in life? Our world has sold the lie that it's your external circumstances that determine your happiness. When in fact, God keeps saying, it's your internal condition that determines your happiness. And if you just get aligned with me, your life would seem a whole lot better than it does, no matter what circumstances come your way. Things like fear and worry can lose their grip. May it be so for us. May it be so for you today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this gift of prayer. For not just allowing, but for desiring conversations with us. We admit our tendency to to let our hectic and our crowded lives crowd out our time with you. And God, we even admit that sometimes it just feels hard and awkward to spend time alone in prayer with you. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you that you would help us push past the busy and push past the awkward to discipline ourselves in prayer as Jesus modeled for us. May our hearts be aligned with yours, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I just wanted to mention, as we do a lot of weeks, that if you're here and you're not a Christian, or you're not sure where you're at with God, These messages that we're talking about, these spiritual practices, are still things you can practice. You don't have to be a Christian to practice meditation that we talked about last week. And you don't have to be a Christian to try praying. The God we believe in will not smite you down for praying without a license. So, feel free to pray. See if it doesn't make your life better and see if it doesn't maybe help you find some of the answers that you're looking for in this life. Because we truly believe that true joy and peace and contentment is found in Jesus Christ alone and would love for you to know that joy and peace and contentment along with us.